the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, and God, Amen. The Gospel of the fourth Sunday of the Blessed Month of Abib is as just we heard, it is about raising Lazarus from the dead. And the story is not only revealing the power of the Lord over death, but more importantly for us to meditate and reflect upon the matter of spiritual death. This is the one that we should be dreading more. The Lord told us, don't be afraid from those who will kill the body. And after this, there is nothing else that they can do. And as there is also, as in physical death, there are stages. A person who could get sick, and then he dies, and then there is a stench. The same also applied on a spiritual death. So we are going to talk today about things to remember about spiritual death, because this is, again, as I said, this is what we should be dreading and we should be terrified from because this is the one that's going, if it happens, impact us eternally. So we'll speak about the gra gradual slope of this spiritual death. Another type thing is that uh, you have a name. This is said to one of the angels uh, of the, in the book of Revelation, flirting with the magnet, the darkness of the grave, and at the end, the hope. So there is a gradual slope when it comes to spiritual death. And as it happens also with physical death, it the same happens with spiritual death. It starts always with this sense of safety, so I can allow myself to go and wander with unprotected senses. I watch whatever I watch, and I see and I hear anything that I know they are immoral, but at the end of the day, I think this is not going to impact me, just my senses. And then what will happen is this kind of inputs will definitely impact my thoughts. And my thoughts becomes compromised and surrendered to sin and fantasy. And sometimes also many people think that if it is my thoughts, then what is the big deal? I do not commit anything that is wrong. Just my, my thoughts, something nobody sees, and I can apport it at any time. As I said, all of these are stages developing into the stage of stench in spiritual death. It starts by senses unprotected and then thoughts that are compromised. Then what will happen is these thoughts will create feelings, and feelings will be captured. And we always feel, feel this. Whenever there's a kind of thought that keeps on spinning and spinning and spinning, that it creates some kind of passion. And we feel something. And this feeling usually is, again, something very pressing on us to do and commit whatever these feelings are pushing us to do. Then we keep on resisting the action until an opportunity comes, a point of weakness, and then the will is going to be broken for the first time. The most difficult time is the first time. In anything, in any kind of addiction, it is the first time. What happens usually is the sense of fear and sense of remorse. How did I do this? And then all of these kind of vows that we tell to ourselves, I will never do it again. It hurt me a lot to fall into this. But the pattern continues. And what will happen afterwards is the tolerance. I am so much now used to see, feel, think, do. See others also doing. And this tolerance 
will lead to the last stage, the stench, the addiction. I am totally immersed in this. I am captured everything, will and ide- and thoughts and feelings and everything. These are the steps, the slope that takes a human being from being sound and good and safe into the status of a spiritual death. The other point is this word, you have a name. The Lord spoke to the angel of the church of Sardis in the book of Revelation chapter 3 and said to him, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. It tells us that I can be looking like I'm alive. I have a name among others. Maybe I'm in the church, maybe I'm a servant. But I still, this not going to guard me from being spiritually dead. And this is scary. Scary because I might believe myself, and I believe what other people are saying about me. That I am well, I am okay. I am a God-fearing person. I am a priest. I am a servant. I am a deacon. I go to the church every Sunday. Don't miss. Still, this verse can apply. This verse was said to a bishop. You have a name. You are alive. But you are dead. We have to be very careful with this. Because this is the deception that hinder many people from offering repentance. I have a name. And I look good in the eyes of others and I of myself. Then comes after this the process of numbing the conscience. People say something good about me. I have an image of a good person. And then my conscience still rebuking me. How can I numb it? How can I put it to sleep? So this is not going to bother me anymore. So these things happen. The first thing is serving while addicted to sin with no true repentance. As I said, I'm a churchgoer, but I'm not struggling in any way. I give myself excuse to break every kind of struggle, fast, prayer. Nothing is consistent, and everything I have for myself and excuse why I'm not doing this. So this is number one. I serve, and maybe I work very hard in the field of the service. But at the end of the day, this just to make me feel like I'm feeling good. I have a name and I'm alive. The second step in numbing the conscience is to say to myself that everyone is doing that. When I hear this from people coming to say, Abuna, everybody's doing this. By the way, God never is never governed by polls. He is not looking at surveys, statistics, and saying that oh, everybody is doing this accordingly, I'm going to change my standard. What kills a person, kills a person. Even if everyone is doing it, it will lead to the same end and results. Spiritual death is something that's sadly common. At the time of Noah, everybody was doing the same, except this man and his family. God did not spare anyone just because of the commonality of things. Everybody is doing it. So this is again a statement that people say to numb their conscience and feel like it's not only me. Everyone around me is doing the same. Another also self-deception statement is I can stop any time. Not knowing that I am, again, I am taken and I am swallowed into this kind of death. 
The concept of no harm, just friends, when it comes to the sin of sexual immorality, a very uh, strong weapon in the hand of the enemy. We are just friends. And this, again, can lead us to fall into all kinds of sins. But just putting the label, just friends, make me feel like, okay, nothing wrong here. We, everything is innocent. Another way of also of trying to numb the conscience is trying to stop and end while walking the same steps. I'm doing the same. My senses are not protected. My thoughts are wandering everywhere. My heart is feeling any kind of feelings. And then at the end of the day, I say, I'm not going to commit this kind of an action. The end of it. It will never happen. If I walk the same path, eventually I will do and commit whatever at the end of it. In order for us to be safe, don't walk from the beginning. But all as I said, all of this again, to keep this, I have a name. I am okay. I'm sound. I'm safe. Everything is okay. Everybody's doing the same. I can stop anytime. It just doesn't take more than going and see a bona. It goes beyond this. The third point is flir flirting with the magnet. Even spiritual death is something scary, but it has its own uh, attraction. So sad that this has an attraction. Heaven has an attraction and this has also an attraction. As light is attractive to many, darkness is also attractive to many as well. In order for us to be safe is not to get close to the magnet. Because once you are there, your will starts to break. And in a certain phase, your will cannot do anything. The magnet is going to swallow you. We are going to talk at at the end for about hope but again the only way for us to be safe is to stay away from the magnet how sometimes we flirt with the magnet the concept of just one time just once and everything else yeah, just for fun I'm not going to do it again the magnet can take you and break your will and keeps you with no ability to resist only by trying something for once Watching or listening to inappropriate shows and thinking is not going to impact me under the, the uh, maybe the belief that I am, I'm old enough, I'm okay, uh, I'm a married person, I can watch anything. All of this again is flirting with the magnet of immorality that can lead us to spiritual death. Being dressed immodestly. And if we think about it, and it's so sad when we see today is that parents are encouraging their kids or agreeing, approving for them to be dressed in a way that's, that's not right, is not fitting a Christian parents. Why we do this? What is the aim? Do we want people to lust for our girls? It is how it is. What is the other explanation that we can say? It is because she is pressing me and she wants to be like everybody else. If you want her to be like anybody else, you know where this is going to end up. She will be destroyed like anybody else. We live in a world today that went very far. If we allow our kids to imitate what they see around them, celebrities and all of these kind of trash they watch over the social media, what exactly are we expecting them to be? Where they're going to be to end? Is this how we want her to marry? Marry whom? 
marry a person who is attracted to a girl because she is dressed in an in a way that's not right. So what? This person was going to marry her because she is revealing herself. What do you think of him? This person will keep on watching other girls also. And after he marry her, he will lust for other women. If he married her because she is exposing herself, he will still walking after other girls or exposing themselves. What are we doing to our children, allowing them here and there? There is a difference between you as parents say no, and they don't listen. They do it behind you. It can happen. Versus that they have their approval. They go from your home dressed in a way that's, that's not right. Again, all of this is flirting with the magnet of a spiritual death. Being present in wrong places is just for the vacation. Do we take vacation from God when I go to places that's not right? What do I say to myself and my conscience? I have a vacation so I can go and watch something that's immoral. What exactly is my belief? Am I a person who's just changing according to wherever I am? Again, all of this is flirting. What will happen when I am there and I watch something that's immoral? Associating with bad influencers. They are fun. Those people are my friends. I do not want to break his or her heart. Then what? It will always be bad company will corrupt good morals. Again, another way of flirting. A boyfriend and girlfriend, but no touching. We're reading the Bible together. I heard this over the years. For 21 years now, I have been listening to this. We are both friends and good friends and girlfriends, but Abuna, believe me, we promised. No touching, and we are reading the Bible together. It ended up in the same place every single time, with no one exception. If I heard this 100 times, the result is they fell in sin 100 times. And again, flirting with the magnet, violating the boundaries, and then we say, I'm, we're staying friends. This was the last time. We promised each other. We're going to respect the boundaries for one another. Any kind of relationship that violates the boundaries will never go back into a friendship, period. What escalated into something immoral will never be again regaining holiness. All of these, as I said again, is flirting with the magnet. It happens every single day, and unfortunately, it happens with the approval of parents. If we know that there is some certain kind of, of danger approaching, approaching our kids, how can we allow them to be close by and we feel like we are doing a good job? The fourth point is the darkness of a grave. Once we get into this kind of status, who flirt with, with a magnet, then the certain things follow. Grumbling again is the house of the father. The church all of a sudden becomes a burden. The people are mean in the church. Sunday school teachers are so strict. The church is making people to suffocate. Why not we let things to go easier than this? All of this grumbling says something about whom I became. I cannot stand the light anymore. Anything that tells me or speaks to me again is what I am inclined to do becomes something that I grumble against. Then the isolation. The grave is a person by himself. This happens. Now isolation is a common theme among many of our children. He's in his room, over his phone, isolated, doing whatever he's doing, being over and over used and abused by those people who are promoting immorality. 
wasting life, leading a double life, focusing only on not to get caught. This is the hide and seek that we are playing today, sadly. Not caught by whom? By our parents, by Abuna, by Sunday school teachers? By whom? If I'm already caught by the enemy, so what exactly am I thinking when I think that the whole idea is about not to be revealed or whatever I'm doing to stay in darkness? Focusing on the image rather than the essence, how I look, how I'm perceived, not, on, not what happens inside me. And all of this, again, is, is something that says that I am in this darkness of the grave. In order to, again, at the end of the day, we spoke about something that's so dreading, yes, but we have hope. The hope is from what I heard today. Christ went to the grave of this man, Lazarus, brought him out of death, and even while there was a stench, this did not stop the Lord from doing this miracle and raising him. The hope starts with the visit of grace, a word that I heard, a passage that I read, someone who told me something and I felt it's sincere, it's for, for me. It's a visit of grace. God is telling you, come out from it. Don't surrender, don't stay where you are. The hope also comes from someone to move the stone. Maybe parents become more attentive, Sunday school teacher or a, a priest or anyone. Someone move the stone and let God to work with this person. Or the person himself, like the prodigal son, decide to rise and go back to his father and admit I was mistaken, I went away, and I need again the love and uh, protection that I was granted to me in my father's house. The hope also comes from the power of the resurrected Savior. He rose not for himself. Actually, the miracle with Christ is not the resurrection. It is his death. How he allowed this to happen, death. Resurrection for him is the norm. But he showed us that whatever he experienced is granted to us. He rose, then we can rise. He walked after his death, then we also can enjoy the same. This is the hope we have. That no matter what, we have hope. We can enjoy resurrection and coming back again to life. The hope comes also from the instruction that the Lord gave to the people. Lose him, let him go. All of these bands and chains of addiction. Christ is instructing the church for this man or woman or girl or boy coming back. Lose him, let him go. And the church has the ability with the power of sacraments and an instruction in it to do this work after a man rises to lose him and let him go. My brethren, it is all about spiritual death. This is what we should be guarding ourselves and our children from. We should fight our hardest not to get there, not to approach. Whenever we sin, we immediately rise up and we repent and we do not allow anything to take us into this kind of darkness. May the Lord to keep all of us safe away from this kind of death and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.